Thank you very much. Yes, uh, as has been introduced, you know when um, Jesus uh, said, a prophet has no honour in his own town. <laughs> I'm very much there this morning. Okay. Uh, when I was 10 years of age, a minister called Gordon Neal got up, and I used to sit in the middle on the front row at the back. And when he got up, I used to time it so that when he started preaching, I needed the toilet. <laughs> I didn't need the toilet. What I did at 10 years of age is I pretended to go down the stairs, but actually there was a coffee bar up here, and I used to steal the walnut whips when I was 10 years of age. So, the guilt that I felt over that, the guilt, not only was I stealing, I was stealing God's walnut whips. Okay, so, it's absolutely terrible. So, uh, so, it's, it's a, so, that's put everyone on the same page. Welcome to John Mark. I got everyone banned from Milkerston and I was stealing chocolate from the room upstairs. So we're, we're all on the same page. Um, uh, everyone uh, now knows my uh, deepest, darkest Derby City Church secrets. You don't. <laughs> you don't. Um, when I was uh, six years of age, I was sat there and it uh, was announced to the church uh, the Vumba Massacre, uh, that uh, Elam Ministries had given their lives for the sake of the gospel. And at six, I remember thinking, being a Christian could cost you all that you are, all that you are. I was a little bit older than that, downstairs in the Cinderella room, when I realized that being a Christian, a real Christian, costs you everything every day. I was 10 when I sold the Walnut Whips, I was 13 and I was, the, the chairs were a little bit different. So I was, I was about in the middle, but near the front here. I was 13 on a Good Friday service and uh, I was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and uh, loved Jesus. 14, I'm sat back in the middle, no longer stealing walnut whips. God had dealt with that. Uh, and a visiting minister came and gave an appeal. Uh, is there anyone uh, here? I believe there's someone here that's been called to the ministry. I believe that was me, so I came to the front. Uh, I was prayed for just here. I will never in my entire life forget the disappointment in that man's face. <laughs> but... I'm not sure he was expecting a 14-year-old uh, to come out, but who God calls, God equips. And, and it wasn't in my time scales. When I was 44, sat over there, in there, God said now. And I knew exactly what he meant. And, and I uh, gave up my uh, teaching life. I was a, a teacher in Ilkeston in uh, Kirkallam. Uh, and... Uh, and followed the call. What I'm trying to say here is a very normal and there's no safe seats. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Right? It doesn't matter where you are sitting, God's going to get you. Right? Right. So uh, a big welcome. I, I love this church. Okay. I was two weeks old when I first came. Uh, in the arms of my uh, mum and dad, uh, uh, Neil and Pat. Uh, so it's a real privilege uh, to be with you today. Um, and I will not forget 
uh, any of you saints that inputted uh, into my life, uh, you will not be forgotten ever. To Matthew 8, if you've got your Bibles, please turn them on. Um, uh, Matthew 8, and we're going 5 to 13. Jesus and, and the centurion, in brackets, the authority of Christ. Right, Matthew is split into three big sections. I've got to go all teacher because I can't take that out of me. The first section is God laying out his manifesto, if you like. We have the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew uh, 8 to 12, we have Matthew that's spitting out uh, the authority and power of Jesus. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and what he's doing is convincing a Jewish mindset that this Jesus is the Jesus that has been promised from the Old Testament, and he comes with the authority and power of God. So that's the purpose of it. So, uh, verse 5. When Jesus has entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, I'm going to stop there. Curios is that word. Uh, I'm not a language specialist. I'm a computer programmer by trade. Uh, Curios, but it means Lord. A couple of times this morning, I've been taken back to my Derby roots, and I've heard people say, duck. We don't get that a lot in Liverpool, right? We Not many ducks in Liverpool. Duck from uh, Derby, from the imperial Latin, ducus, meaning sir or person of honour, okay? So when people in Derby are calling you duck, they are not insulting you. They're just calling you sir. Okay, so this is what this centurion is doing. He is referring to Jesus as the person that has all the authority and power in this situation. Now, that's unusual. The, a centurion is a uh, rank in the uh, imperial army. If a centurion told you what to do, it was called voice of the emperor. And so if a centurion told you to do something, you would do it as if the emperor himself commanded you to do it. So here we have got a centurion coming to Jesus, so he wasn't a Jew, coming to Jesus and saying, in this situation, in fact, in this, you have the power and authority in this. This this man was unusual. He said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Is it only my mind that goes, duh? (laughs) What a very, very strange thing for Jesus to say. But let's just just have a look at that, and then I'll stop going off script. Jesus is looking to build the faith of that centurion. Jesus knew what that man needed. Jesus knew uh, that there was going to be a healing. But Jesus is looking to build the faith of people around him. Jesus is doing the same for you through the Holy Spirit, right? There is, in every situation, you take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus in prayer. You say, God, I don't know what's going on here, but I trust you. And the Holy Spirit will build your faith. So keep doing that. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. There's faith. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. 
When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, that was Israel, will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. What a great passage. I love stories. And uh, Oppenheimer, I've unfortunately not been able to get to see Barbie yet, but I've been told I've got Kennedy, whatever that means. But I, I enjoy stories. I enjoy stories where the weak or the, the underdog win. They're my favorite stories. Okay, so I've just read a, a book called Chicken Soup Under the Tree. It's a strange story. It's all about a 12-year-old boy who survives Auschwitz. It's horrifying. But, but when I read stories where particularly kids are in peril, I'm invested. So this story, I'm invested. Okay, we know from the Greek language that this servant was probably a teenager, probably a boy. There's a bit of a hint in that. Now, I watch a lot of films. It's something that I've passed on to uh, the rest of my uh, family, my daughter in particular, uh, Darcy. We, we met yesterday for a little time and we just compared film notes. So I'm going to do something that I'm pretty sure that no one will, you will have ever heard the centurion preach this way. Because I'm not going to preach about the centurion. I'm going to preach about the helpless servant. So you've got to use your imaginations. A high camera shot in a darkened room would show a teenager lying on the bed with two or three adults in the room, quietly looking after the boy. One knelt by the bed holding his hand and others looking concerned and sad. A small window lets in some light along with the sounds of a town crowd going about their business. But the focus is all on the boy fighting for life. The camera pans left and down, zooming as it does so, so it's now level with the boy's feverish face. But you can see a contorted and twisted body, as if a heavy object had broken his bones in his back and legs. It is clear that this boy is losing the fight. The sounds from my side grow increasingly faint, as do the sobs from the others in the room. The end is near. Camera fades to black. The crowd sounds grow suddenly louder. The boy's eyes abruptly flick open. The camera starts to pull away from the close-up and you see the once broken body now healed as he starts to pull himself up in bed. The servants' faces are frozen in shock, eyes wide, mouths opened, as the boy opens his mouth and says, what's for dinner? <laughs> Cut. That is my imagination because I'm not sure if you, like me, you read these Bible stories and I want to know what's going around the periphery. I want to know what the crowd are seeing. I want to see all of that. And I'm sure when we get the extended DVD version in heaven, we'll get all of those extras and I'm looking forward to it. The servant. Now, obviously I've used a lot of imagination in there, but what I do know with certainty is at the beginning of that day, that boy was dying. At the end of that day, that boy had life and was healed. All because Jesus got involved. Jesus. 
It's all about Jesus. It's not about walnut whips. It's not about dog collars. It's not about anything else. It's all about Jesus. Now, the world will tell you that we have a God that doesn't care. That's what the world will tell you. Uh, I I, um, work uh, as a supply teacher and then uh, in church. And a lot of the supply that I do uh, is in RE, as you, you think. Uh, 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 that's good. Last, uh, last January, uh, I heard we'd just come back from the, the break, uh, the Christmas break, and I was teaching an RE lesson. Uh, I, was, I was going through some slides that a RE teacher had put together. I've got to say, there was mistakes on every slide. Um, the theology was very wrong, but I understand we've got to get the kids through. So because I'm me and I'm supply and I've got a little bit more uh, latitude, I corrected uh, what was uh, on the slides because I'm a Christian first and what they're going to do, sack me, I'm supply. So, <laughs> <clears throat> so I get away with that. So, that. so that's fine. But two lads turn to one another and goes, well, I've, we've heard about this Christian God, but he doesn't really get involved. I mean, hold on. We've just literally had Christmas. What do you mean God doesn't get involved? And they looked at me nonplussed. And I went, we have got a God, and we've just had two weeks off to celebrate it, that God gets involved. He gets involved by sending his son. They got the gospel. The only thing I didn't do was an appeal. <laughs> but they knew at the end of that one-hour lesson that we have a God that gets involved with people. And he doesn't, he's not remote, he's not far off. He rolls his sleeves up and he gets down in the muck of it and he starts saving people. And it's one of the greatest privileges of my life to, have, to know Jesus Christ. He doesn't just love this world, he agapes it. He doesn't just love it like I love walnut worlds, he agapes it. And what I mean by that is he loves it sacrificially. He loves it knowing that he will get nothing in return. What do I get to give Jesus? I get to give Jesus a broken life. Ashes. That's what I give Jesus. And he gives me eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. He gives me a plan and a purpose for my life. He gives me hope for a future. He gives me promises that God will bless me. That's what I get in return. And I have earned not one of them. Uh, there's some of my Sunday school teachers. I, I avoided old Sunday school teachers. Uh, but uh, I bet some of you are feeling it. I'm 52. And there are some faithful men and women here uh, that uh, taught me as I was a kid. One of the first Bible verses they taught me was John 3.16. For God so loved, agapeed the world that he gave his only and uh, his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life so loved that's you so loved i i cannot the words i do not have communicate the love that god has for you you may feel you may feel as if you're not worthy you may feel you may feel i don't know a million miles away in one sense let me tell you in one sense you're right You're not worthy, but God loves you anyway. And every true follower of Jesus Christ has come to that revelation. God, it's not about me. It's all about you. That's amazing grace. So 
Jesus, I've got to say, came for that boy for more than just healing his physical body. Jesus also came for that boy and for everyone in this world to heal what the sin problem. Now, people misunderstand sin, but basically, if you follow this acronym, you won't go too far wrong. Shove off God. I'm in charge. Not your way, my way. That's sin. Sin is when you say, shove off God. I know better, and I'm going to set the agenda for my life. That's sin. Okay, uh, a Christian says, says to God, and we come to him, and all of us have come to him and said, look God, I'm wrong, forgive me, I want to do what you tell me to do. That's when you become a friend of God, that's when you become a follower. But I have a sneaking suspicion that this boy who's lost a history... We, we do not know what happened to this lad, but I have a sneaking suspicion that God healed him. And then a little bit later, he gave his life to him. And he was one of the stalwarts in the first century church telling people about Jesus who heals him. Now, I don't know that, but I do know that Jesus has been dealing with the sin problem ever since his resurrection. 2,000 years later, in Derby, in Warrington and Liverpool, where I live, Jesus is still dealing with the same problem. And if you're here today, and honestly, I probably don't know at least half of you. And if you're here today and Jesus has not dealt with your sin problem, he loves you so much that he's, he will deal with that sin problem with one prayer. You don't have to roll your, uh, your trouser legs up, stand in custard. You don't have to do anything weird. All you've got to do is, and I'll, I'll not make it cheap, it'll cost you everything, right? I'd, I'm not into any of this, uh, become a Christian, it's really easy. My experience is become a Christian and it's really hard work because every day you've got to die to yourself. Every day you've got to say, okay, God, what's the adventure got for me today? So when I get up and I go to supply, it's not my favorite job in the world. Supply, get it a little bit. But I'm there and I go, right, God, what adventure are we today? How can I help someone today? Because it's not me in that room. It's I'm an ambassador. I'm a minister of reconciliation, as you are. Wherever you work, wherever your family is, you are, if you read your Bible, you are ministers of reconciliation. And it's your job and my job to represent Jesus wherever we are. None of us get a pass on it. 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John 5.14. The trick there is to find out what his will is. And there's no shortcuts. It's intimacy with God. Read your Bible, pray, and spend time with him. There's, there's, there's no other way. No other way. You've got to be intimate with God. Um, uh, I've got a dog called Colin. Me and Colin is a uh, collie dog, Colin the Collie. <laughs> Even ministers' dogs follow the alliteration rule, right? So Colin, Colin the Collie, when me and Colin go out, we're praying, I'm talking, but I'm also listening. Because every day I want to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to tell me. Because I don't want to do what John Mark wants to do I want to do what Jesus has asked me to do because I want to be a friend of his 
And if I want to be a friend, that means I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. So spend time with God. Walk with him. Listen to what he's saying. I'm sure I'm not the only person here, but thank God for Vernon Patterson. Thank God. I'm sorry, that's a bit more of a response. I didn't know who Vernon Patterson was two weeks ago either. Vernon Patterson in 1934 prayed a prayer in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, His friend, Frank, used to organise a prayer meeting. And they used to, because they were all farmers, they used to meet outside uh, underneath uh, various trees. And this particular day, uh, Vernon turned up and he came with a new prayer. And uh, Vernon Patterson started to pray, Lord, may you raise someone up in our community that will take the gospel to the entire world. Vernon Patterson had faith. Frank had a son called Billy. Billy Graham impacted my family's life when my mum and dad became Christians or started following uh, Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade in the 1960s. (coughs) Not the 80s one, we're going wherever. Right, so, but thank you God for Vernon Patterson. What I'm saying here is we may never see the results of our prayers. But we do know that we follow a God that wants to see no one perish. That's what we do know. We do know that God has a heart for everyone, for the lost, for the poor, for the broken. That's what we know. So when a man in faith says, God, raise somebody up to send your gospel around this world, God went, aye, aye, we're on the same page here. And Billy became a Christian. And the rest is history. Hopeless situations are turned to joy when Jesus gets involved. Right, and I'm talking uh, the, the obvious here. In the natural, I suspect that that boy would have died. In the natural, I think if Jesus hadn't got involved, I think that lad was ill. Centurions knew about death. They'd seen a lot of it. That lad was, was not going to make it. Jesus got involved. The lad lived. Life, because we have a God of the living. I want to see more miracles. Do you want to see more miracles? I think one of the biggest hindrances for me not seeing miracles is that I didn't ask. I'll be really honest. I think I didn't ask. Because all it takes is the faith of a mustard seed to move a mountain. Now, when Jesus talks about it's hyperbole. A mustard seed, it's nothing. But if you bring that... To Jesus, mountains move. Now, mountains moving are impossible. My geography supply lessons tell me that. (laughs) But not with a mustard seed. Mountains move. And I'm not talking physical mountains. I'm talking about mountains in your life. He's already moved in the biggest mountain. He dealt with your sin problem, if you're a true follower of Jesus. He's already dealt with the biggest problem, and you will ne- never face death. You will never face the second death. But just so that we're aware, the gospel writers wrote lots about what Jesus did. Jesus healed the sick, even incurable people that were sick. 
Jesus healed them. He made the blind see and the deaf hear. He turned packed lunch, five loaves, two fishes, and fed 13,000 people, or thereabouts, because we only count the men. Well, we're the eaters, aren't they? But, uh, so, but 13,000, from a, from a boy's packed lunch, 13,000 people fed. So when people, when people live a life that says, God can't provide for me, you remember 13,000 people eating one boy's pat lunch, and you then have the faith to say, God, here's my mustard seed. What you did for that boy you're doing today, provide for me, Lord. The forces of the enemy, you've had to follow his instructions. I don't like talking about the enemy. I like dealing with the real thing, Jesus. But you don't have to be scared of the enemy. He that's in you is greater than the one that's in the world. But we are at war. We are at war. There is a kingdom of darkness. There is a kingdom of light. And we, as the representatives of salt and light in this world, have got to tell people about Jesus. We've got to. The church is one generation away from extinction in this country. If we stop telling people about the goodness of Jesus, what will happen? Well, the stones will cry out. And I'm certainly not going to pack, it, pack up telling people about Jesus because he's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I hope that you, at every opportunity, will also get to talk about Jesus and his faithfulness and his goodness to your life. He stills the storms. He raises the dead. And then himself was raised from the dead because, and I've said this before, but it's important. God is a God of the living. He's not a God of the dead. If you know Jesus, you're part of the empire of light. You're part of the kingdom of light. You will, God willing, you will take the good news of Jesus Christ to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors, uh, and do that. Each of these miracles, which is why we read the Gospels, each of these miracles shows us that there is nothing that is too difficult for our God to do. There is nothing. God can do anything. In fact, I once played a game with my son. Name me one thing that Jesus can't do. There is one thing. Someone said it. That's it. Eve got it. She was my son's school teacher. Jesus can never, ever do anything wrong. That's the one thing God can't do. And that's the God of your life. That's the God that's looking after you, that, that you get up and you get to spend time with. He wants to bless you. He wants to pour out his, his love. And he wants to be close to you. He wants to stick closer than a brother. That's the Jesus that we have. James 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Not, no, no one here. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now listen to this. And understand it. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm not going to do it because 
but when I was uh, in, in a church and I read that, vote, uh, read that uh, verse, I, I said, right, if you are in that verse, if you're righteous, put your hand up. Four people, put their hand up. Now, I know all of you would put your hands up, so, so there's no need for me to, uh, to do that. You're righteous, not self-righteous. That, that's a very different question. No one here is self-righteous, or if you are, you've missed it. You've really missed it. If you think you're good enough to, to get there and you don't have to answer for the stuff, you've missed it, right? Play it straight down, the, straight down the line. We're righteous because of everything that Jesus Christ has done for us. So, if you love Jesus, if you've given your life to him, welcome, you are righteous because you're clothed not in your own righteousness, you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means you get to pray and your prayers are what? Good. You see, I can't take the teacher out. So, what do you need God to do? Do you have the faith of the centurion? Let's get God involved. We're going to get him involved today. Now, I don't very often quote St. Augustine. He was a uh, 4th century North African Berber. But I love this quote so much. Pray as though everything depended on God. Everything depends on God. Work as though everything depends on you. Interesting. Pray as if everything depends on God, and it surely does. Work as though everything depends on you. I think this was St. Augustine's way of saying, don't just say to somebody in need, God bless you, walk off and wash your hands of it. That's what I think St. Augustine's saying. I think St. Augustine's saying, if you see somebody in need, put your hand in your pocket. That's what St. Augustine's saying. If you see someone without a coat, give him one of your coats. If you see someone hungry, make a packed lunch. Probably don't give him money. Buy him a bag of, a bag of sweets, some biscuits, a sandwich. Do something. Do something that Jesus would do. Don't just trip off. Our relationship with God is not theology. Hopefully we practice good theology by doing what Jesus would do in any situation. If we see someone in need, if you see someone in need on your street, what would Jesus do if he lived in your house? What would he do? Would he, I don't know, would he just walk by, not get on with it? Well, no, not the Jesus that I know. The Jesus that I know would go knocking on the door. And the Jesus that I know would start getting involved. And, and I'm not saying that you, you, like, you become Mr. and Mrs. Busybody, knowing everyone's business. But you say, look, I, you know, I heard you in a little bit of trouble. I've got, you a, I've got you a meal here. God bless you. Right? And start building relationships with people like that. Look after them. Now, my wife should have, yes, my wife's given me the sign, which is, <laughs> John Mark, you, you've spent far too long on there. Um, so I'm going to just tell you a story, what happened in last November, that started to uh, change the way that I came uh, to Jesus in prayer. I was hosting, like Emma was, uh, at a uh, church in Warrington. And uh, they don't let me sing. Okay, let me just... So uh, the, uh, the band's up very much like uh, this band here, and I'm uh, coming uh, forward. I've got the microphone like this. I'm about to, to segue into a Bible reading and move the service on uh, after praying for some people. A lady down here... 
called Lorraine. She wasn't here. It was in a, a church in Warrington, um, uh, in an arts theatre, sorry, with the stage was quite high. Had come in, had been coming to church for, let's say, five or six weeks. And she would come in on a, uh, like, portable zimmer. It had wheels on it, but she was, she was not very mobile, right? You didn't want to get behind her in the, tea for, in the queue for tea and coffee. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, as I got up to um, do it, God did something else, and the service took a different direction. How very dare he? Thank God he did. Yeah. That lady got up, threw her walking aid aside, and ran around church shouting, God has healed me. My wife was there. She knows the, uh, the truth of it. I'm on the stage going... <laughs> so John Mark, that's never lost for a word or two, is completely and utterly lost for words. Now, I found out what happened. During the, uh, the song, a young Christian lad, he's been a Christian five years, called Phil, felt the Holy Spirit just say, look, don't touch her, don't lay hands on her, don't do anything, but pray for Lorraine that sat in front of you. I want to do something for her. So Phil, being a, a man of faith, prayed, then sat down. Lorraine felt the strength come back into her legs and realized that God had healed her. Let me tell you what Lorraine then went on to do. Uh, King's Table is a food project uh, that we run in Warrington. Lorraine was very known in an area of Warrington called Orford. For 20 years, she'd been on that Zimmer frame. She came running into the car park where we did our food project, and there was 30, 40 people there, all going. <laughs> and Lorraine told every single one of them about how God had healed her. What that resulted in was there was other people in that line that went, well, if God can do it for you, can he do it for me? Well, yes, he can. So shall we pray? Now, some people thought it was a, a hoax. Some people walked away from those sessions healed. In fact, one lady brought her sons the next week and their sons were quite agitated. What have you done to our mum? Our mum can now walk. What is this? This was Jesus. And they, we sat down with them and went through a Bible discovery and explained Jesus. What I'm saying is, when God intervenes, and he surely does, I've seen it, people start asking questions. People want to know, what, what's this? This person couldn't walk. This person is now, and I don't understand it, he's talking about this Jesus fella who died 2,000 years ago. But they want conversations. So when God answers your prayers, when God answers your prayers, be quick to tell people about the goodness of God in your lives because God does great things. God genuinely cares for you and for people around you. He even cares for people that don't know him yet. There is nothing that God cannot do. And tell people around you of the things that God, the great things that God has done. If you're a Christian, the greatest thing God has ever done for you, start with knowing him. 
Start there and tell people that. And then if someone's sick, offer to pray for them. Don't need to force, them, uh, force it on it. But you'd be surprised how many people will say, oh, do you know what? You can pray for me. I've got to read something from the message. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant, more than extravagant with you. He gives you something that you can then give away which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Carrying out this social relief work involves far more than helping meet the bare needs of poor Christians. It also produces abundant and bountiful thanksgiving to God. I love the fact that we've got an extravagant God. Uh, that he pours his gifts out to us in an extravagant way. I'm very selfish. John Mark does not share food. <laughs> Jesus is not like John Mark. Jesus is extravagant. Um, because God was telling me that we need to pray for some people when I was preparing this a couple of weeks ago, I've asked permission. Because of the words that have been said here, um, and what God was saying to me, I believe that we're, we're going to see God move. That's, that's what I believe. Right? I, I don't believe only, God only moves in Warrington. <laughs> Darby's so much better. <laughs> huh? So I believe that God wants to heal a few people. But I also believe that like the centurion, God may want a few of you to stand in the gap for some people. So, if, is the, the team here, the prayer, uh, the prayer ministry team, if, if you want someone to pray for you, or you want to come and you want to represent somebody, I just want you to take your mustard seed, and that is walk to the front. There's your mustard seed. You don't need any more than that. The God Channel will tell you to buy a book. Oh, no, don't. <laughs> Love Jesus and give him your mustard seed. That's enough. Right, there you go. Just save you £10. Right, so come to the front. I'm not sure if uh, a musician can uh, uh, come forward, but let's, let's pray. And, and if you come to the front, come knowing that God loves you so much and that sometimes God doesn't answer the prayers in a way that we understand. Sometimes we look back and we see the fingerprints of God in our lives and we see God working, right? But I want you to have faith. God heals people. I've seen it.